Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I'm your host. Let me do this at the beginning. Please interact with the product somehow. I don't. I'm fine with however your, you know, whatever your platform of choice is. Right, we're on most of them. But if you could interact with the product a little bit, uh, reviews if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts, uh, star ratings, very, very helpful. Uh, anywhere else, you can liking the individual episodes if at all possible, or just subscribing overall, all of that is very, very helpful to what's going on here. And it, people always mention the algorithm, YouTube in particular has this, but this is very true about all of these platforms. To boost the kind of traffic it Assign, uh, how much it assigns, you know, spaces and whatnot. It's not just raw number of downloads and listens. That's certainly a part of it, but you know, listener engagement is very significant when it comes to figuring out what pops up in recommended, how high things appear on a search bar, stuff like that. So anything you can do to help out, and if you've done all of that and are just listening to me ramble again anyway, I thank you for your patience. If you haven't, please do so. It all helps a lot. All right, on the agenda for this evening. Last night, the UFC had an event. It was an event. wasn't a terribly compelling event, but we'll go over it. But 14 fights on that card. I don't know why I didn't count those before, but 14 fights is just too many. I know they're trying to make up the averages, and I'm never against fighters getting paid, and they have to fight to be paid because that's what they're contracted to do. But, man, these these 14-fight cards, man, they're just, they're rough. They're just rough. It just takes a long time, and everything becomes a blur. You know, I'm, I'm going to be reading through the results of this, and I'm fairly certain that I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to not get at least one of these correct. I'm, I'm, I don't you know, remember a whole lot about them, which is weird because I have a very good memory as a general rule. So we'll talk about that. The biggest thing, of course, this coming Saturday, UFC 266, headlined by Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega competing over Volkanovsky's featherweight title. Another title fight as well, and we're gonna we'll run down that whole card. That's gonna take up the bulk of the episode, I think. Uh, going through the rest of you know, last night's card shouldn't take terribly long. Uh, we had some retirements, a couple of very prominent ones, so I'll talk a little bit about that and. Whatever else news comes to mind, it, there was some stuff worth talking about, but uh, I don't know. Again, a relatively quiet news week, all things considered. There's a few things I'm going to wind up folding into other segments, but that's the agenda. So with that out of the way, let's get into the show. Last night, UFC on ESPN plus 50. This was headlined by Anthony Smith and Ryan Spann. In your main event, Anthony Smith defeats Ryan Spann via rear naked choke, 347 of the first round. When they were just kind of throwing bombs at each other, uh, when I say it was okay, I don't mean in an entertainment standpoint. Spann did okay in those segments, but even then, he got wobbled a few times. Smith just looked to be the much better fighter overall. Uh, He... Was able to drop Span at least once, uh, might have been twice, en route to the finish. Uh, the finish itself got the back, 
got the choke. Smith's grappling game is something people don't talk about a whole lot. He's His reputation, somewhat deservedly, is just kind of a marauding brawler. Which, as I mentioned, he's somewhat earned that with a lot of some of his other performances, especially his early UFC stuff. He was just kind of blood and guts. When he's had to not ha, when he's had to go beyond being able to just either overwhelm someone quickly or something of that nature uh he does a lot of really good work on the ground i mean he submitted Bul- he submitted vulcan uzdemir that was in the third round of their fight people forget when he beat alexander gustafson he choked him that was a rear naked choke in the fourth round i mean he was winning that fight anyway but his his wrestling isn't his takedown and wrestling game isn't something you think about a whole lot because it's not terribly dynamic but his jujitsu game, like once he gets on the ground and starts grappling, that's something we think people should pay a little bit more respect to. I mean, he caught Devin Clark in a triangle choke. Now, granted, that's Devin Clark, and it's not. And we'll talk about Clark in the next fight, actually. But his ground game gets slept on a little bit. Now, some of that is just one of the byproducts of uh, light heavyweight and heavyweight. If you're on top, you're winning. It's not that there are no heavyweight or light heavyweight grapplers with a good guard game or a good off their backs. They exist. Uh, I'm, you know, Big Nog, uh, Frank Mir. Um, no, he's a middleweight. I mean, th- those are the two obvious ones, and I'm uh, Barnett. Maybe Josh Barnett? I mean, Josh Barnett is good off of his back for a heavyweight, to be sure. Uh, but it, they're they're rare. They just don't come up a whole lot. And some of that's size, some of that's the size of the opponent, some of that's your physical limitations based on body size. You just don't see it all that often. It tends to be whoever is on top is the one winning. Now, you get into the lighter weight classes and... You still would rather be on top, as a general rule, but some of those guys, uh, you know, some of those lighter, scramblier guys, they will tear you up from the bottom, man. That was actually one of the... This might sound really weird, but if you watch some of Khabib's earlier fights, uh, as he was still kind of figuring out and perfecting his style, he would occasionally wind up on his back, either just losing the position scrambling, or someone who decided to take him down, whatever the case might have been, he was super active off of his back. Now, as he really refined what he did and how he did it, that became less and less of an issue because he didn't give people the chance to try and take him down. Uh, Tony Ferguson, at his best, was really active off of his back. Some of those guys, they'll, they'll mess you up. You get to 205 in heavyweight... The guys who can fight effectively off of their backs are pretty limited. Like, you don't... There's just not a lot of them. Um, there's probably at least one light heavyweight that somebody's screaming at me now. Some, somebody listening is going, so-and-so. I, I I just can't, honestly, for the life of me at the moment, think of anyone at 205 who's had a... Uh, okay, maybe Paul Craig. Paul Craig is probably the closest we've got. He's got a... Who has a kind of fairly dangerous guard. But in the last, I don't know, 10 years, uh, so go back to like 2011, 
Has there been a really good guard player at light heavyweight? You know, Smith is kind of one of those guys. So it's... Uh, his, his submission game is just something that I think needs... We all need to consider it a little bit more thoroughly when we're talking about him. After the fact, he re, he said for a while he wants a rematch with uh, Alexander Rakic. And... I'm... Eh. Here's, the, here's the thing about this. Right now, your top two contenders... You have... Um, sorry. Well, let's start at the top. You have currently set for, I think, kind of the end of the... Uh, coming up fairly shortly, Blahovich and Glover Teixeira for the belt. Your next two contenders, and which order you choose to put these two gentlemen in is largely up to you personally... You have Alexander Rakic and Yuri Prohachka. Now, Prohachka's certainly had the more memorable fights uh, of those two most recently. But, you know, uh, Rakic's only loss in the UFC was a split to Vulcan Uzdemir that... I think I scored it for Uzdemir live, but I, I don't... There is an argument for Rakic from what I can recall. I haven't watched the fight in a while. And his last two fights, he's beaten Anthony Smith and Tiago Santos. You know, he's not beaten nobody. But those are the top two guys, and logic would kind of dictate that those two should fight. The winner gets the next title shot. But timing is a thing. And let's also face it, Rakic's last couple of fights have probably cooled the fan enthusiasm, and... Somewhat in the same way, management's enthusiasm about him fighting for the belt. Whereas, you know, Prohachka just went out there and... Was his last fight the Reyes? I feel like his last fight was the Dominic Reyes fight. I want to double-check that real fast. Because... Yeah. I mean, look, Prohachka's had two fights in the UFC. Uh... And he violently knocked out both Vulcan Uzdemir and Dominic Reyes, both of them in the second round. I mean, that that Reyes fight was that was a wild fight. He's the kind of fighter the UFC will reward for fighting the way that he does. So there's a non-trivial chance he'll just get the next shot. Like, that's already, he knows that's what's the case. Is he's going to get the next shot. So he might just be waiting for, again, Teixeira and Blahovich to fight. However that goes. And if the, if Yuri is, again, kind of sitting on that title shot, uh, Rakic and Smith in a rematch isn't the worst thing in the world. It's, it's not my preference. I tend to think I would rather see... You know, if you just wanted the violence, right, and my status on enjoying the violence is very well documented on this show... If you just wanted the violence, you would do Anthony Smith and Yuri Prohachka. Like, that that would be the violence. <laughs> that would be the most violent option, I think. So, yeah, that's... Uh, which that, that Unless you wanted to give Rakic the title shot and make Prohachka have another one, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and I don't think that's the way they're going to go. Now, we still have to wait for Teixeira and Blahovic to fight which could upend a lot of things if there's not really a... 
if we get a wonky finish to that or, you know, a draw or something like that, we that would upset the entire apple cart. But assuming that there's a clear winner to that, I uh, I mean the UFC gave oh god. Uh yeah, I got a thing. I got uh sorry, I just was remem- remembered of a something else that's happening right now that I will talk about on the news section. Uh, as it pertains to flyweight. So they whoever wins that, assuming there's no controversy around it, there's not really an argument for assuming Teixeira wins. There's not really an argument for Blahovich to have an immediate rematch. He has one title defense. And it was a good win. I'm certainly not scoring that live. I recall giving it to Adesanya, but one, I don't always stand by that. Because when I do these things live, I'm double-checking my spelling. Uh, I'm occasionally having to rewrite sentences because they can get repetitive. Like, there's there's things on my mind other than watching and scoring the fight straight ahead. Uh, I didn't object to Blahovich winning. And I think I was able to watch... I was able to watch that fight one more time, and my opinion kind of swung towards Blahovich. But ultimately, uh, it was, you know... It was a good win, but it wasn't anything that you would necessarily hang your hat on for your legacy at light heavyweight. So if Teixeira beats him clean, which he very well might, I don't see a case for an immediate rematch. That doesn't always stop the UFC. It just means it would be... It's not something I really want to plan on. uh, Try and plan around. And, I mean, ditto if Blahovich wins. Assuming he beats Teixeira clean, it should just... It'll probably just be him and uh, Yuri. So, it's just a little bit, we have to wait for a few of those fights to play out because, uh, I'm, Anthony Smith really wants that, he's said this for a while, he wants that rematch with Rakic because Rakic beat him pretty soundly when they fought. Uh, he darn near crippled him with leg, with calf kicks, he took him down, he controlled him, it was a, a thorough win, not a terribly memorable win, but it was a thorough win. Uh, yeah, I'm just looking at light heavyweight right now. That is a... You've got Teixeira fighting Blahovich, Prohodzka waiting in the wings, Rakic at number three, Tiago Santos... Why is Tiago Santos at four? That seems very... You have Reyes at five. I mean, I think Reyes has a lot of tools, but he has not been the same since he lost that fight with John Jones. And look, you can say that you thought he won. Doing it live, I scored it for John, but I, I've said before, I think that was the one fight I came away from feeling John probably lost. But after that, since then, he has not been the same. And for whatever reason, maybe just tough matchups, maybe people looked at the footage about what John did to him and were able to find holes. I don't. I'd have to give that a lot more thought and a lot more tape study, but I five seems high for him. On Kalaev at seven. It's just a weird division, man. There's not a lot of upward mo- There's not a lot of upward momentum. There's not a lot of. I can't say there's none, but there's just man. There's just not a lot going on there. I know there's people who disagree with me on that take, and I that's fine. 
I'm not here to comprehensively weigh out the merits of each individual division. Because that, lar that debate largely centers around whether lightweight or bantamweight is better. And we all kind of agree that heavyweight and light heavyweight are at the bottom of that barrel. And which one is worse is largely dependent on which part of the roster you're looking at at the, you know, various points in time. Uh, so we might get that rematch. Rakich seemed amenable. Is it Smith really wants it? It's not my, it's not my personal preference, but the need to keep fights happening might supersede that. So we'll wait and see. Uh, as for Ryan Span, uh, Span's a tough guy to kind of get a handle on. Just in the following ways. You know, he was on a long winning streak when he... I mean, he was on a long winning streak before he fought Johnny Walker. Some of those were pretty good wins. He beat Luis Enrique in his UFC debut by decision. That was not, you know, a super memorable fight, but he acquitted himself well. Uh, he knocks out Little Nog, which everyone and their dog saw coming. He submitted Devin Clark... Where we all should have had a bit of pause is when he fought Sam Alvey to a split decision. Now, Sam Alvey kind of fights everyone to split decisions. It's just kind of his thing. But that was a little bit telling. Then he gets knocked out by Johnny Walker after he hurts Walker. Rebounds by beating Sirkinov and then gets tapped here. There's clearly ability there. Span is a large man. He's like 6'5", I think. According to the official, uh, his official, you know, height metric, yeah, he's 6'5". He's got power, but I don't know. He just, I don't quite know, like, where his strengths are. You know, I don't, I don't quite know. If you were to ask me to describe Ryan Spann as a fighter, I could give you some generic stuff, but I don't feel like there's... Uh, it's weird. For a guy with, like, almost 30 fights... He doesn't feel like a finished product, and that's just a little again. That's a little bit weird. Most guys, by the time they get here, even if they're, you know, fairly uh, middle of the road guys, you can get a decent sense of them. And I don't quite have that with Span, uh, which it might be more my fault. That might that's more of a me problem, I think. But that's also it's a little bit telling. I mean, I can tell you stuff about Smith. You asked me to describe Anthony Smith as a fighter. I have. Several things I can tell you about him. I'm, Span, just not quite so much. So, I, I don't know. He will wind up fighting somebody else. Probably someone else ranked. But he came into this at what? 11? Yeah. So he'll probably fight somebody ranked below him next. But, you know, you took a step up and you you lost. So that that's usually what happens. Um. Okay, last thing I want to mention briefly about Anthony Smith. This guy's career is one of the oddest. And I mean that in, like, kind of a, you know, complimentary way. He went 5-6 and six in his first 11 fights, including a four-fight losing streak at one point. There's not a lot of people that start their first 11 fights like that and then go on to the big success that he's had. He rebounded quite well. Uh, you know, appeared in Strike Force with mixed results. He lost his UFC debut. Uh, then 
left the UFC, fought in Bellator, won a couple of fights there, you know, kept fighting, eventually got back to the UFC. And he's been a little bit up and down, but more up than down by a fairly consistent margin. He debuts and he beats uh, Leonardo Augusto Gumarais, then loses to Cesar Fajaya, wins three in a row, gets body kicked into the next life by Tiago Santos. That was one of the nastiest body kicks you'll ever see. Moves up in weight class to, from middleweight to 205. Knocks out two old men who shouldn't be fighting anymore. Rashad Evans, who would retire not long after, and Shogun, who should have retired. Then beats Vulcan Uzdemir, and all of this is enough to earn him a title shot, where he is thoroughly outclassed by John Jones. If we're talking how the fight went, there is no debate, there is no discussion. He had nothing, he, had, he reliably offered nothing to John Jones. John was deducted two points for an illegal knee in the fifth round and still won the fight handily on the scorecards. That's how one-sided that fight was. Uh, Smith could have taken the title. When he got hit with that illegal knee, he was down and John kneed him in the head. There's no ambiguity about the foul. If he'd said, I can't fight, he would have won on, on a disqualification. Uh, similar to how... Well, he could have won the title on a disqualification. I want to clarify that. That largely becomes the purview of the referee at that point, because they're in the fifth round. Uh, if the ref wants, they could have, he could have uh, had them go to a technical decision instead of just the, instead of just disqualifying John. But he, given the given the way that played out in the cage, he probably would have disqualified John. And Smith would have been the first UFC champion to win their belt via DQ. Instead, that went to Aljamain Sterling for the same foul need in the head while they were downed. Uh, also by a guy who was winning the fight handily. Uh, I don't know. I saw some other different. I saw some different scorecards when it came to Jan and Sterling. But at a bare minimum, by the time that foul happened, Sterling was uh, Jan was well ahead as the fight was going on, and it was wildly going in his direction. But he doesn't. He rebounds by beating Alexander Gustafsson, which was a very impressive win at the time. It hasn't aged all that well, given what... Was that Gustafsson's... Le he fought at 205 against Verdum. That's the other heavyweight, Verdum. Fabricio Verdum has a very good guard. I knew there was one I was forgetting. Yeah, it was right before that. So, Gustafsson... That hasn't aged all that well, because Gustafsson doesn't seem to have... That rematch with John, man. I mean, he's Gustafson has had injury issues and that and inactivity related to those. But for a while, you know, he went on a he only had one he lost his second UFC fight when he was submitted by Phil Davis. Went on a really long winning streak. Lost a title fight with John Jones that was that's still my vote for best light heavyweight fight ever. A certainly light heavyweight title fight. That's just a great fight. Loses that, beats Jimmy Manoa, gets stopped by Anthony Johnson, fights to a split decision with Daniel Cormier for the belt. I thought he won that fight. Uh, straight up. Odd. Gus, if you ask both John Jones and Daniel Cormier who their toughest fight was, they both I think they both say it was Gustafson. 
Like, he gave those two guys hell. And I thought he beat Cormier, but he didn't. But on the scorecards, he didn't. Beats Blahovich, beats Teixeira, then gets stopped pretty violently by John in their, rem- in their rematch. And he hasn't been the same since. He loses to Smith, he goes up to heavyweight and gets tapped by Verdum quickly. Uh, so not that that hasn't aged the best, but then you get the, the rough stretch. He fights Glover Teixeira and is TKO'd in the fifth after literally getting his teeth knocked out. Then he has, then, I mean, he fights, that, that Teixeira fight was May of 2020. In August of 2020, he fights Rakic. So just three months later, and he is utterly lifeless in that fight with Rakic. He then fights again in November, and this time he, he gets a much softer touch with Devin Clark, and he triangle chokes him. And then 2021 thus far beats Jimmy Crute, beats Ryan Spann, both in the first round. Well, the Crute fight was between rounds, but still. If, if you'd asked me after that rakage loss, and I think I said this, like, that's not, that's not a good spot, man. You know, at the time, the Rakich fight was his 40, what? Ninth? Yeah. That was his 49th fight. That's a lot of fights. And to have just kind of been worn down uh, you know, by the years and the miles. And yeah, he's had some... He's had some knockdown drag out affairs. Some of them he came out the winner, some of them he came out the loser. And he's he's not old, man. I mean he's he's thirty three. He's younger than I am. That is But that's still he at this point he's got almost sixty he's got fifty two fights at thirty three years old. He debuted yeah, his first fight was in February of 2008. He's been doing this for a long time. And and for him to pick himself up after that stretch, you know, losing to Jones, beating Gustafson, then losing badly to Teixeira, losing to Rakich, like, that's the kind of stretch at the end of, that some fighters end their careers on, especially fighters who have, you know, 50 fights at that point. And he... With his team, kind of retooled, not a lot, but they kind of, you know, they fixed a few things, and he persevered, and he's, I don't think he's getting the next title shot, but he's not that far away. If he wins his next fight, whether that's Rakic or Prochacka or whoever, he might be next after that. Like, he might just be one win away from a title, from another title shot. That's somewhat remarkable. So, kudos to you, sir. Just wanted to wanted to bring that up, man. His career is it is something that you don't see all that often. It is very, very rare to have done what he has done the way that he has done it, and that deserves to be mentioned. Uh, all right, let's see. All right, we shouldn't take as long getting through the rest of these. Um, Iwan Kutelaba defeated Devin Clark via unanimous decision, thirty twenty six, twenty nine twenty six, twenty nine twenty seven. Uh, I think I was 30-25. Like, I, I think I gave Kutalaba 10-8s in all three rounds. This was... This was a beating. 
Kutelaba just kind of smashed Clark. I mean, Clark is tough as nails, man. A fraction of that level of abuse has stopped other elite-level fighters. Uh, his teeth got... at uh, Kutelaba in the second round hit him with a knee to the face in the fence. Illegal knee. Very legal. And it bad like he, he started spitting blood immediately his teeth his low the his lower teeth are jacked i mean there's pictures floating around on uh twitter right i think the espn mma twitter account has some stills of it they are messed up like he got wrecked i don't know that they needed to let him out there for that third round now a couple of the judges thought he won that round i think that was more due to kute laba just kind of not willing to be Managing risk, right? You're up huge. You're up universally two ten eights. Uh, that's the only way the twenty nine twenty seven scorecard. Is it? So okay, so one judge didn't give him a. I might have been thirty twenty four, which I think might have been a slight exaggeration. I don't. Point being, you're up huge. I mean, you are up in such a way that there's no... You can give this round away. He could have given that round away 10-8 and won the fight. Like, that's how much he was ahead. And it's not like he stopped trying to win. He didn't run away. But he also didn't quite put out the same finishing attempts that he did in the first couple of rounds. Which, managing a fight like that is a skill and it's something that needs to be appreciated. So... Kutilaba gets a win. Good for him. I, the fight was... Again, it was brutal, but watch the first round and then know that the next two are just kind of more of that. Uh, Ariane Lipsky defeated Mandy Baum via unanimous decision, 30-27. Easily Lipsky's best performance in the UFC. Uh, hands down. She, looked, she had good takedowns. She had much better work on the ground overall. Her striking looked better. She was throwing combinations more. Uh... Easily, easily Lipsky's career best performance. Uh, Armin Sarukian defeated Christos Yagos via TKO punches 209 of the first. So this was kind of a setup for Saryukian. Saryukian has demonstrated a lot of ability. I mean, his debut was a short notice replacement fight against Islam Makashev. And while he lost that fight, rewatch that fight if you haven't seen it, by the way. Uh, so watch it if you haven't seen it. If you have seen it, it's worth a rewatch. That is a nut. That is a. That's one of the best wrestling fights. Uh, certainly north of uh, bantamweight. That you'll ever see. And when I say wrestling, I mean that in the purest sense. Wrestling is what happens until someone concedes a position. Makashev and uh, Saryukian wrestle each other. And it is a lot of fun. He did that on short notice. He's undefeated since then. But he'd only... He'd kind of been coasting. I mean, that... That's a little bit unfair, but he... He hadn't been putting guys away. I mean, all of his UFC wins, I think, prior to this were decisions. Yeah. He outgrappled... I mean, he beat some tough guys to do that. Let me be clear. He out-wrestled Olivier Aubin-Mercier, which is not easy. He out-wrestled Davi Hamosh, which is, again, not easy. Matt Frivola was... 
That's weird. He went from Hamos to Frivola. I would actually consider Frivola probably a little step down. And the but the point being, he's not. He had been putting those guys away. And the Frivola fight in particular, you got the sense he could have. I mean, okay, you couldn't fill, finish Olivier Aubameyang, okay? Aubameyang is a tough guy to finish, as a general rule. Couldn't quite finish Davi Hamos. You're a wrestler. Hamos is the grappler that he is. Like, that might have just been an unpleasant style matchup in terms of, you know, probability of a finish. You fight Matt Frivola, you probably should have got him out of there. And that was kind of the thing, you know, you really should be start finishing some people. And here he fights Yagos and knocks him out. Um, TKO's him in the in the first round rather quickly. Uh, Yagos threw a kick at him. He parried it. And Yagos landed a little bit too square, right? Instead of bringing his leg all the way back into his stance, he landed a little bit more square with it. I think he might have been anticipating a takedown attempt coming off of that because then squaring up your hips to sprawl them back makes sense. And his hands drop ever so slightly. I imagine to battle for underhooks, ex- expecting the double leg. And instead of shooting the double leg, Soyukin punches him in the temple, hit him with a nice left hook, wobbles him, and then pounds him out. Uh, much needed performance out of Soyukin. Uh, Nate Manis scored a pretty significant comeback against Tony Gravely, TKOing him in the second at 210. Uh, <laughs> Gravely drops Manis at the end of the first. There's a couple of seconds left, and. If there's five more seconds in that round, might have finished him. Or someone else pointed out, the way Manus fell, if he drops him and then walks away, maybe the ref waves it off. Uh, I mean, that's that's a split-second calculation that, you know, you can't make. You know, you just, you commit to whichever direction you're going with that, but who knows. But he was hurt bad. Comes back in the second, he's a little bit, takes him about another minute to recover, but he does and he's he starts hurting gravely to the body catches him with a left hook to the body gravely tries to fire back and eats this right kind of shovel hook sits him down and he pounds him out a really good comeback fun little fight actually um this would have been my fight of the night the ufc did not officially award one but that i think that would have been mine uh and kicking off the main card joaquin buckley defeated antonio ahoyo via knockout punches at 226 of the third. Not a whole lot up until the finish. Uh, and Buckley hit a nice finish. He hit this kind of clubbing overhand right where his forearm kind of... He was throwing the overhand right and Ahoyo in defending stepped a little bit closer, kind of ducked, and that meant that the forearm kind of hit him in the back of the head. Which is one of the risks of that particular defense against that particular punch, but in theory it's better than getting punched in the face by the knuckles. Uh, that kind of wobbled him, and then Buckley pressed the action and hit a right uppercut that just... That was it, man. That was the one that knocked him out. So, uh, Buckley needed the rebound after uh, Alessio Rico head kicked him. I also need to make a minor correction from last week. There was one other fight between Buckley... Uh, after he hit the jump-spinning back kick on Impa Kasanganai, he did have a win uh, before the head kick of Rico. So I'm incorrectly, I've forgotten about that other fight. And I mentioned last week the kind of trail of head kick knockouts. There was one fight in between those. So, uh, but still an odd little habit to notice there. Anyway, that was your main card. As for the prelims, 
Uh, Tafan Chukwi defeated Mike Rodriguez via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. Raquel Pennington defeated Panny Kianzad via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. I don't have a whole lot to say. Look, Mike Rodriguez is... I don't know why... He's probably not with the UFC anymore after this. I mean, he's had moments where he could have won. Or... I mean, he was beating the crap out of Ed Herman and then for some reason got caught in the... <laughs> caught in this stupid Kimura trap. Like, it was a giant brain fart on his part. Uh, Pennington over Kianzad, I... Not a terribly interesting fight. Uh, women's bantamweight is... Uh, that division is in dire need of a shakeup. I I don't think that's a really debatable point. Uh, let's see. Rongju defeated Brandon Jenkins via TKO punches in the third round. Uh, Rong missed weight for this. Uh, okay, for the record, I've seen that. I've only ever seen his name listed as Rongju, but because he's Chinese, Rong is his surname. That's his family name. So, uh, just for the record, that's that's the best I can make out of that. Uh, good performance from Rong. He, the first little bit of the first round was a bit more even, but he just had more firepower. He missed weight for this, so, which is never a good thing. But he, he pretty, he was up both rounds before the finish. Uh, just a good performance out of him. He, I've mentioned this before a little bit at some other different points in time. But he, uh, the difference between, you know, the traditional jiu-jitsu metagame and sort of what Khabib had done in terms of decision-making and, cer and certain positional preferences, uh, watching Rong when he was doing the fence wrestling, he's very clearly utilizing the Khabib meta. Now, that's not to say he does what Khabib did. He's not that level of wrestler. He doesn't quite have the same level of ground and pound. Like there's a, this is not a one-to-one -one comparison. It's simply an observation that in positions where you have to make a choice, I fight for control. Uh, with uh, you know, I try to attain a reasonable control position and then maintain it while dealing damage, prioritizing that and then uh, and then the ability to hit mat returns. Or you prioritize trying to advance position to something more dominant that, in theory, gives you a better chance of finishing, but also, in your passing attempts, opens up other opportunities for the other guy to escape. Uh, Rong was pretty clearly erring on the side of, I'm going to just fight for wrist control, I'm going to ride your leg, I'm going to hit mat returns, and I'm going to wear you down and sneak in punches where I can. I think he... We're going to see more of that. I... What I, I don't want to get too deep off on this tangent, but Khabib's decision to attack the I've meant the meta of grappling in MMA was a very fascinating one. The skills that he decided to focus on and how he chose to use them uh, in order to attack what people were doing how to make that work for him uh, was a very, very savvy, very strategic decision. And it's not easy. What he did was very, very difficult. But we're going to see more people, I think, start you approaching it that way. Uh, just my two cents on that. And wrong was just, uh, it was my big takeaway from that, was observing that about him and his uh, stylistic choices. 
Uh, Bantamweight, Montel Jackson defeated J.P. Bays via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. Uh, Bays was a lot gamer than I thought he would be, but the size difference, man. Bays was, f like, five inches shorter and gave up eight and a half of reach. Uh, yeah, th that just, he had a good, the first round was pretty good, but that just kind of kept falling apart for him the longer the fight went on. He got knocked down four times, I think, in the third round. Uh, this was... You know, Baze took this on short notice, I think. This was supposed to be... This, is, this was supposed to be Montel Jackson and Dana Batkari. Which would have been a heck of a fight, actually. I hope they make that. But the way this played out, you know... Jackson's a pretty legitimate... He's got two losses in the UFC. He debuted against Ricky Simone. And boy, is that a rough fight. Then he beat Brian Kelleher, beat Andre Sukumtot, beat Felipe Colares. And those are good wins. Again, the Sukumtot, uh, I don't think, is with the UFC anymore. But Then he loses to Brett Johns. And then proceeds to be, beat Jesse Strader and J.P. Bays. He's a good prospect. The guys he's lost to in both Simone and Johns are quite good. I think they're both ranked, actually. I know Simone, uh, I know Simone is... Um, let me double check, actually. Uh, so, where is Ricky Simone? Is he not ranked anymore? Huh. That's well. That might. Some of that might be activity. Is I feel like Simone should be ranked. Now oh, the lost Rob Font hurt him. Oh, he might have moved up to featherweight. I know he did for at least his last fight, but eh, that's odd. Uh, and John's... Did he get cut? When did he leave the UFC? Oh. Wow, yeah, he's with Bellator now. Dang, that's a... Lost his Bellator debut, actually. That's a shame, man. Brett Johns is a really good fighter. He had a couple of losses in the UFC, but they were at Aljamain Sterling and Pedro Munoz. Then he won two fights, and then apparently he liked the offer he got from Bellator more than the one he got from the UFC, so... Now, that's a shame. Uh, point being, Jackson's only losses are to... Pretty darn good fighters, but uh, so he's still refining a little bit. But uh, good win for him here. Uh, let's see. Aaron Blanchfield defeated Sarah Alpar. This was a beating. Unanimous decision. Thirty-two thirty-twenty-five. One 30-26 was actually generous. I was thirty-twenty-five. Uh, Alpar did not have a whole lot to offer Blanchfield on the feet, on the mat. Blanchfield just beat the crap out of her. Uh, let's see. Carlston Harris defeated Impa Kasanganai via TKO punches. 238 of the first. Uh, pretty good win for Harris, actually. Uh, I remember how he did that. What is the setup for that? 
Yeah, they just got into some 50-50 exchanges, and he landed better. And then his finishing instinct was quite good here. Uh, he gets the ride position, a, a single leg ride, and he wraps up inside wrist control, kind of like grape. I know technically grapevining is done with the legs, but if I say he grapevined the arm with his arm, you'll know what I mean. Uh, grapevined the far arm like that with his arm, uh, and that really limited Kasanganai's... Yeah, I can't, he can't quite call it wrist control. He never actually gets the wrist, but... And he just yeah, unloaded with rights, forced the stoppage. Pretty good win for Harris, actually. Harris is... What? I think this, is, this makes him 2-0 or 3-0 in the UFC. Uh, pretty good win. He's... He might be someone to pay attention to. There's still stuff you'd like to see ironed out, but he's got enough fights overall that he should be in the refining phase rather than the really kind of adding things to his game phase. Uh, let's see. Bantamweight Gustavo Lopez and Alatong Hele went to a unanimous draw, 28-28. Um, Alatong was deducted a point in the third round for flagrant and repeated fence grabs, costing him... He, this is all on him, man. He threw this fight away. He won the first two rounds pretty clearly. Uh, uh, Lopez was game, but he was always a little bit outgunned, a little bit outpositioned. Uh, then in the third, Lopez starts, stops being quite so technical, starts putting it on Alatong. His, I think his calf kicks were working a little bit more. He was able to get some stuff done in the clinch, get some takedowns. And... And... <laughs> For some reason, Alatong is grabbing the fence to avoid mat returns. And eventually the ref had enough and deducted a point. Uh, this led to Lopez winning the third round 10-8 and giving us the draw. Uh, uh, the draw is the correct outcome. There's, I mean, there's no controversy here about that. First two rounds to Alatang, third third round to Lopez, and then you have the point deduction. That's that's it. It's oh, he just he threw this one away, man. He completely just threw it away. He should have won this 29-28, but eh, if you break the rules. And kicking off the main card, Hannah Goldie was kind of getting worked over by Emily Whitmire until she catches an armbar, 4:17 of the first round. Uh, Goldie's first win in the UFC. She really needed that one. Uh, decent enough armbar, I suppose. Uh, your perf your bonuses. Uh, there was no fight of the night, as mentioned. Your performances of the night go to Anthony Smith, Armin Saruki, and Nate Maness and Joaquin Buckley. That's all fair. Uh, yeah, 14 fights. If you're interested in my my live play-by-play -play coverage, the full report is over in the MMAZone411mania.com. So please go over there and give that a read if you're so inclined. All right. That took a little bit longer than I expected it to, but let's move on. UFC 266 this coming weekend. Uh, this is... some. Once again, there's issues with visas and COVID, so some of these fights we don't actually have a full bout order for. Our main card is currently secure. Currently. Uh, your main event, Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega. These two were supposed to fight earlier this year. But Volkanovsky contrasted a fairly gnarly, uh, fairly gnarly uh, case of COVID, actually. And that got bumped back to... And then they shot the Ultimate Fighter, which I keep forgetting happens because it's a terrible waste of everyone's time and energy. 
Uh, anyway, it leads us to this point. This is a good fight. Uh, Ortega getting it off of the back of just one one win prior to his uh, after his title loss. Yeah, he had the fight with Holloway there where they stopped it after the fourth round, deservedly so. That was a he took a serious beating from Max Holloway, and I suppose to his credit. You know, he got some, he was losing every round, but he got some licks in on Max along the way. Then he's off for almost two years, comes back, beats Chan Sung Jung in a a pretty good uh, fight, actually. Ortega, he's, it's weird trying to get a, whole, a handle on this guy. He's, prim, his primary skill set is jujitsu. Uh that's mostly what he's known for, but he doesn't have great takedowns. He's He's got... His boxing is weird. Because there's some stuff that he does right. But there's a lot of pieces around the stuff that he does right that aren't quite there. So it... Like, he does a lot of shoulder rolls. But he doesn't counter off of them all that well. And... <laughs> He tends to shoulder roll and then come right back to the center line, so he gets hit a lot. I mean, if you watch his fight with Max Holloway, he was frequently able, anytime Max would throw a combination, he was able to kind of mitigate the first couple of punches, but thir the three and fourth, third and fourth, I can talk, would always hit him. And he's a little bit, uh, his defense is a little bit high, so his body's a touch open. But he's good about firing back, he's got power. And he's got some surprisingly tricky setups on occasion. You know, he'll um, he'll shoulder roll and try a, an up, uh, you know, like a, uh, an elbow off that uh, the side that he's that he's rolling. Or he was the one he he tried one on Max, then he caught it on he hit uh, he hit it on Chan Sung Jung. He's got kind of a shoulder roll into a spinning back elbow. That. Uh, again, Max seemed to have a read on it because he tried it on Max and missed, and then he, Jung walked into it, uh, wobbled him pretty badly. So he's got some of these tricky setups. He his jujitsu is v exceptional. I, I don't say that lightly. He's an exceptional jujitsu practitioner. But it he he hasn't. The closest he's gotten to showing a really consistent game was the fight with Jung. Uh, if you look at some of the other fights, one of the things about Ortega, he is always in the fight. Um, his first fight in the UFC got overturned uh, after he failed a drug test. But if you look at the next few fights... He had, what, four consecutive third-round finishes? Yeah, Tiago Tavares, Diego Brandao, Clay Guida, and Hanato Moicano were all third rounds. Uh, fights he was... The Tavares fight might have been even going into the third. I think he was behind on the Brandao fight. They, I had him around a piece in the Guida fight, and I think I had him around a piece in the Moicano, but he was... Point being, you know, those were not gimmies. He was not up big and still won. Some of those he might have needed the finish, depending on how the relevant judges were scoring it. Then he chokes out Cub Swanson in fairly quick order. 
does kind of drop the first round, if I, I seem to recall, though. I'd have to double-check that. Then he brutally knocks out Frankie Edgar in the first round uh, to get his title shot, and then he has no match for Max Holloway. But he's he's got some good pieces to his game. On the other hand, you are staring down, in my opinion, the best featherweight in the world in Alexander Volkanovsky. Volkanovsky, as a reminder, people are so hung up on that the scoring of that second fight with Max Holloway. I, I think we need to appreciate something about Volkanovsky here. He started his career at welterweight and went th went four and one at 170. He spent everything. He spent the next bit of his career bouncing between lightweight and featherweight. And he's never lost at either 155 or 145. He debuted in the UFC as, uh, I think he came in at featherweight, right? Did he no, he came in at lightweight. Then, since then, he's returned to featherweight. And, look, he's had one close fight in that entire time. I mean, let me just, for the sake of argument, the following is Alexander Volkanovsky's UFC record. He TKO's Yusuke Kasuya in the second round. That was one-way traffic. He beat the crap out of that man. He defeats Mizoto Hiruda. Hiruda via unanimous decision. Again, fairly one-way fight. He beats Shane Young. Fairly one-way fight. He TKO's Jeremy Kennedy in the second round. He puts a serious beating on Darren Elkins. Wins a unanimous decision. He stops Chad Mendez in the second round. Then proceeds to beat Jose Aldo via clear-cut three-round decision, 30-27 on all three scorecards. Beats Max Holloway in this first title fight. Becomes the first man in year, first man since Conor McGregor, I think, to beat him at featherweight. And then beats him in the beats him in the rematch. I mean, look, you can argue the split decision all you want. I've scored that. I scored that fight for Volkanovski, but I've also said that fight tends to swing on one round. And the round in question is very, very, very close. So <laughs> I don't think it's wrong to score it for Max, but you know, the, his first fight with Max wasn't... I hate to say it wasn't close because that implies that he blew him out of the water, but the scoring was non-controversial. That was what? Uh, that was... Okay. There was one guy who gave... Two of the judges were 48-47. I think they gave Max rounds four and five. I th Personally, I think I gave Volkanovski four of the five rounds, and then somebody, one of the judges gave him all five, which it's a little bit iffy. But you know, there, was no, there was no outcry about the scoring of that fight. Certainly not like there was the second one. But think about that for just a minute. Look at that resume. This man, in consecutive fights, beat, he finished Chad Mendez, blanked out Jose Aldo, and then beat Max Holloway twice. Can we put some respect on this man's name for crying out loud? Uh, he's also somewhat derided as a point fighter, and I have to call bull on that. Look... His last 
three fights have been against a whopping two men, Jose Aldo and Max Holloway. You want to know the last guy to finish? Uh, if we start with Aldo, okay, he got fin Jose Aldo got finished by Connor, and I think that was the uh, then he got finished by Peter Yan. Uh, so the only the only people to finish Aldo in the UFC, Connor, Max, and Yan. Okay, that's it. That man just... If your game plan is I'm going to try to finish Jose Aldo, especially over only three rounds, you know, good luck. I mean, Max was able to finish him in the third in both of their fights, but... Uh, you know, Jan took until the fifth. And yeah, that fight should have been stopped much earlier in the fifth round, but there was no argument for it really being stopped before that. It's just not really a... You're not really going to get somewhere deciding that you're going to, you know, swing hell for leather <laughs> against Jose Aldo. And then Max, jeez, has Max been... I don't think Max has been finished since he fought, since his first fight. Yeah. Okay. The only time in Max Holloway's entire career that he's been finished was his UFC debut in his fifth professional fight when he stepped up on somewhat short notice and was submitted via mounted triangle armbar by Dustin Poirier. And some of the other people that he's fought. In fact, let's just look at, I mean, there's not a lot of losses here. But if we look at his losses, because that's the most relevant, lost a split decision to Dennis Bermudez, he should have won. I'm on record for that. Lost a unanimous decision to Connor. Connor, when Connor was on the ascension, right? This is 2013. Connor's on his way to becoming king of the world. He couldn't put away Max Holloway. Goes on this stupidly long winning streak. Moves up to lightweight for a rematch with Brian, uh, excuse me, with Dustin Poirier. After he beats Brian Ortega. Dustin Poirier in the rematch can't finish him. Comes back down, he beats Frankie Edgar, then he loses twice to Volkanovski. You wanna, you wanna lose to Max Holloway? Go in there and try to finish that man. Like, if that's your game plan, if that's what you're reliant on, you're going to lose badly. So he fought intelligent fights designed around his opposition. And yeah, again, you want to go out there and decide, I'm going to try to, my game plan is going to be finishing Max Holloway. If you see an opportunity, you shouldn't, you know, you, there's a degree to which you shouldn't let it get away from you. But you can't brawl with Max Holloway. He wants you to try. But Volkanovski is a very, very good fighter. He's good about disrupting your timing and your rhythm. His fainting game is incredible. His footwork is exceptional. He is physically strong as an ox. He's got a good... And this is the other thing people forget because you tend to look just at the you know, last couple of fights. His clinch game is very good. And... If he gets you down, his top control and ground and pound is ferocious. He's a guy that operates very much in the Khabib meta in that respect. He hasn't done it a lot lately because, again, his last three opponents are Chad Mendez, Jose Aldo, and Max Holloway. You wrestle with Chad Mendez as much as you have to, but that's... But you, know, you don't really decide going into it that you're going to 
just wrestle with that guy. You kind of have to feel that out. Then he clinched Jose Aldo very successfully. Jose Aldo's not easy to control, and he did so. Then you, know, you fight Max. I mean, trying to take Max down is... Uh, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but even you know Dustin Poirier struggled to get him down, and Poirier's a big, strong, lightweight at that point. Was able to get some control time against the fence, but couldn't, you know, reliably get him down. I mean, even the control that he had against him was hard fought. So that's that's just not a skill set he's been able to bring to bear. If you want to see what he's capable of, go back and watch his fights with Jeremy Kennedy and Darren Elkins. Like he gets on top of Jeremy Kennedy and he smashes that guy. Just you know, punches him through the canvas, basically. <sighs> My inclination here is Volkanovski. Ortega hits hard and he's been improving. That's not to be discounted. But I think Ortega's... A, well, he does have some nice traps. He's a bit linear. And that's a rough spot to be in against Volkanovski. Volkanovski's ability to fight high and low. You know, he disrupts your timing. He kicks you in the leg. He feints you to to draw you out. He's good wherever the fight happens to go. I'm, For whatever my pick's worth, I'm picking Volkanovski, but I'm not going to be too shocked if Ortega wins. Uh, this is... This is a good fight. I'm very much looking forward to it. I, I lean Volkanovski. I don't have to... Do, <laughs> the co-main event. I don't have to think about all that much. Women's flyweight champion Valentina Shevchenko will defend her title against Lauren Murphy. Lauren Murphy is on a winning streak, to her credit. It is five fights long. The problem, for me at least... I thought she lost two of those. She won a, her she won a split decision over Andrea Lee that I thought she lost, and her most recent fight was a split decision win over Joanne Calderwood that most people thought she lost. Uh, look, Murphy is physically strong. She's got a decent enough ground game. Uh. <laughs> But her striking's rough, her defense is porous, and this might seem like a weird thing, but she marks up real easy. I mean, you look at some of those fights that she won at the end of the split, and her face is kind of a mess. Uh, I don't think she's got much of a chance here. And, look, somebody is going to beat Valentino one of these days, right? There's, that's just kind of the way it is. Everybody loses at some point. I have no real reason to think it's going to be Lauren Murphy here. And I hate to be, I'm not trying to be dismissive of her. She's worked very, my disagreement with the scoring is that's not her fault. But I think her face is going to get turned into hamburger here. Uh, if she can't control you in the clinch, and you kind of work that real close pocket boxing, you know, uh, the, the real like dirty boxing clinch fighting, and mix in takedowns successfully, I don't think she has a whole lot to offer. And Shevchenko's really good in those spaces too. I mean. Shevchenko has never lost it uh, 
125. Uh, yeah, her... She took a... She moved up to bantamweight when she lost the... When she had the cut stoppage against Liz Carmouche. Then went on a long winning streak. Lost to Nunes unanimously the first time. Got a rematch. Lost a split decision. That I scored for her, but c'est la vie. Then she moved to flyweight and has been darn near untouchable. She, you know, murdered Priscilla Cachuea. She beat Joanna. I think it was 50-45 across the board when she beat Joanna. Uh, 49-46 across the board. I don't remember which round they gave Joanna, but okay. She hits one of the sickest knockouts you'll see when she head kicked Jessica I into into a myriad of health issues. Apparently, I <laughs> I say that as a joke. Because for the last, like, four fights Jessica I has come out with, she said, well, I fixed this. And it turns out I had this. You know, I had gallbladder problems, which are nothing to... I'm not saying she didn't. But, yeah, I had my gallbladder out, and my overall health has improved, okay, and then she loses. Well, I had, turns out I had a bunch of food allergies that I fixed, and then, like, there's just always seems to be something that poor woman's trying to fix. Uh, she beats Liz Carmouche via comically wide decision. She stops Caitlin Chukagian. Everybody loses their mind. I said this before, UFC 255. Everybody lost their minds because Jennifer Maya won the first round against her. As though she didn't win the other four rounds fairly easily. Uh, easily might be a bit of a stretch, but like there was no debate around the scoring of that fight. It was, oh, moment of, she lost the first round. What does this mean? Well, it means she wins the other four rounds and wins the fight. And her last fight, boy, she just smashed, she abused Jessica Andrade. I mean, that was that was pretty nasty. Uh, and I just, I don't know how Lauren Murphy wins this fight. Maybe if she's, brings out, maybe she's been hiding a bunch of punching power and her technique is suddenly improved, she can sneak something in, but I think this is Valentina's fight to lose. So, I pick Shevchenko easily. <laughs> that that Women's flyweight is barely a division. Uh, our next fight, the featured bout, is a rematch 17 years in the making when former welterweight champion Robbie Lawler will fight Nick Diaz. Not Nate, Nick. These two first fought, as mentioned, 17 years ago in at UFC 47. The, this is going to be a five-round fight. I don't think it'll need all five rounds, but we'll have to see. Um, here's the thing about this fight. I need to get this out of the way. There's For some people, there will be a nostalgia factor for this, not me. I think this will probably be a somewhat entertaining fight, but I don't actually care. And I, I'm shocked that I feel that way, in all honesty. You'd think there would be something here that would kind of make me go, yeah, that'll be fun. But look, guys, Nick Diaz hasn't fought since 2015 in January when he lost to Anderson Silva. I know that got overturned, but he lost that fight. I mean, he hasn't won a fight in... Ten years. Almost ex... Okay. 
His last win was October 29th, 2011, when he beat BJ Penn. So almost 10 years, this man has not won a fight. And he hasn't not fought at all since January of 15. So what? Over six, six and a half years? I just, <laughs> I know there's a very loyal fan base to the Diaz brothers, and I get it. I just, I'm not one of them. And then there's Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler has not won a fight since 2017 when he won a unanimous decision over Donald Cerrone. Robbie Lawler is 1-5 in his last six fights. He was knocked out by Tyron Woodley, beat Cerrone, lost a clear unanimous decision to Rafael Dos Anjos. Okay, you can argue the stoppage in the fight with Ben Askren. A little bit wonky, but putting that aside, he then loses a clear five-round fight with Colby Covington and then loses a three-round fight with Neil Magny in largely the same way. I'm not saying these two won't have a an entertaining fight. I'm really not. But one guy who's been out of action for almost seven years. And six. My math was my math is wonky. Sorry, six years. And one who hasn't really been able to pull the trigger in at least three of his last four fights. They might recapture some magic here. They really might. But this is a one-off. It's not indicative of anything long-term for either man. I, I'm i just not that jazzed about it. Um, I'm not even entirely sure who I could pick here. You know what? This might sound really... I'm going to flip a coin. I'm literally just going to flip a coin. So we'll go heads, Diaz, tails, Lawler. Eh, tails, Lawler. Um, that's probably wrong. Is my really... Am I really about to pick Nick Diaz here? That layoff, man. That long layoff. Ah... Uh, Alright, here's here's my here's my hesitancy on each side. Robbie Lawler is looking a little bit shop worn, right? He's not pulling the trigger like he used to. He's being outworked, he's being outclinched, he's just not pulling the trigger. Of all the problems that Nick Diaz has as a fighter, and of all the problems he's going to have as a fighter in this fight relative to Robbie Lawler, pulling the trigger is not one of them. He's going to pull the trigger. That The question I have is, is he in fight shape? And I Look, his... I know physically he's gotten himself back from being very out of shape. That's not quite the same as fight shape, so is he going to be in shape to go five rounds? Something of an open question. Leaning towards yes. His preparation is usually quite good. 
But he's also... Jeez, how old is he now? He's 38. I mean, look, Lawler's no spring chicken. Jeez, Lawler's older. These two guys are almost 40. Okay, let's take a second here and think about that. These two gentlemen are almost 40. They're 38 and 39. With that long layoff for Diaz, I still... I got this weird visual in my head. Look, and let me just straight up. They're going to trade. Diaz is going to get hit. Uh, if his chin's not gone, he's going to survive. And Lawler has just been backed up a lot lately. Spent a lot of time with his back on the fence. And a lot of time kind of getting teed off there. And that's really what Nick Diaz loves to do. Ah. Uh. Yeah, you know what? I think I am going to pick Nick. I'm. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to pick Diaz, and in reality, who the hell knows? Uh, if Lawler is smart, they're both southpaws. If Lawler's smart, he could do some damage with calf kicks, especially. I'm picking Diaz. I, I think Lawler's just a little bit too shopworn at this point. I may be wrong, but... Uh, I mostly hope this fight doesn't go long. I don't need... three Having three different fights scheduled for five rounds, you're pushing your luck a little bit there. All right, heavyweight, Curtis Blades will fight Jarzinho Rosenstrike. Huh. Blades? Huh. He was beating Derek Lewis until he tried to wrestle him and then got knocked out. Rosenstrike? Yeah, he beat Sakai. I'm going to pick Blades, but I might be... I won't be shocked if Rosenstrike wins this. Put it like that. And kicking off the main card, Jessica Andrade will fight Cynthia Calvillo. Andrade's coming off of that failed attempt to take the title from Valentina Shevchenko. And Calvillo coming off a unanimous decision loss to Caitlin Chukagian. I don't have a reason to pick against Jessica Andrade here. Um... Andrade is... Calvillo's a little bit one-note, and she has not looked great lately. Uh, I'm I'm going to pick... Yeah, I'm picking Andrade. All right, what we have for the rest of this fight, I'm going to announce... I'm going to read off everything that currently has a bout order, and then there's three fights that don't have a place yet, so bear with me. Uh, on the prelims, Marlon Moraes and Marab Dvalishvili... Marais needs a win. I don't think he's going to get it. Dvalish really has that man's fight motor is absurd. I mean, you can say that of a lot of guys throughout history. I think this guy ha might be his pace and his activity. He might be the most active fighter once the bell rings that I've ever seen. I mean, the man just doesn't stop. It's a little bit crazy. 
Uh, I mean, I suppose sentimentally I'll be rooting for Murdaish, but I think this is a really tough matchup for him. Uh, lightweight fight, Dan Hooker and Nazrat Hakparast. Um, it's a good fight. I think Hooker. Did Hooker take this on short notice? I want to double check. I feel like he did. Or at the bare minimum, like there was a real, he wasn't sure he was going to get visa approval to be here. Like there was some drama around this. Uh, I'm going to pick Hooker. I mean, he's lost his last couple of fights. He had that absolute war with Dustin Poirier. I mean, that was a... Boy, you talk about a fight that'll take time off your life, man. Then he lost to Michael Chandler fairly quickly. Um, yeah, I mean, Hack Prest is a good fighter, but I don't think he's... <laughs> I don't think he's fought someone on Hooker's level. Uh, heavyweight fight, Shamil Abdurakhimov and Chris Dawkus. I picked Dawkus rather easily here. Um, Abdurakhimov is a decent enough guy to have on the roster, but Dawkus, I think, is someone we're going to be talking about as... I'm not saying champion. not saying that at all. But he's 3-0 and in the UFC with three first-round finishes. He's got fast hands. He's a light. He's a smaller heavyweight, but he's he knows how to fight to that. I I tend to think pretty highly of Dawkins' ceiling at this point, so I think he's probably going to take that. Uh, let's see. Also on the prelims, we have Menon Foro and Maria Buena Silva. Uh, Foro is she brought a. She put a beating on her opponent in her UFC in her last couple of fights. I think Foyro takes this. Middleweight Carl Robertson and Nick Maximov. Robertson could use a win. He's on a two-fight losing streak. Yeah, I'm going to pick Robertson, but he's, his back's against the wall a little bit. Welterweight fight between Matthew Semmelsberger and Martin Sano Jr. Should go Semmelsberger. Uh, then we have these other three fights that don't yet have a uh, spot on the bout order. We have Jalen Turner and Ursos Medic, that lightweight. Probably lean Turner here. Women's flyweight fight between Roxanne Modafferi and Tyla Santos. Uh, I think... Probably Santos. Unless I'm confusing her with somebody else, and I might be. I think I am. Uh, I mean, what's Rock? What's Modafferi done lately? Trading wins and losses since coming back to the UFC. If that pattern holds, she'll win here. I'm gonna. I'm still gonna lean Santos, but that's close, and probably, and I won't be surprised one bit if Modafferi wins. And a featherweight fight between Omar Morales and Jonathan Pierce. Probably lean towards Morales. Morales has a surprisingly good UFC record. His only loss is to Giga Chikadze. He's beat everybody else. Now, beat Dong Yun Ma. That's Dong Yun Kim, but the maestro. Gabriel Benitez and Shane Young. Yeah, I'm okay picking Morales there. So, that's UFC 266.
this coming Saturday. So I hope you will stop by in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. There are some good fights there. Your main event is a very good featherweight fight. And if you're nostalgic, you know, Diaz and Lawler is not bad. And watch it. Look, even if Valentina Shevchenko goes out there and, you know, smashes Lauren Murphy in the first round. You, if you're the champion, that's kind of what happens sometimes. Sometimes you go steamroll an opponent. Sometimes you're in the fight of your life. Uh, tune in. To, I mean, if nothing, even if I'm right. Okay, even if every expert is right. And Shevchenko wins handily. I'm not going to pretend there's not some interest in seeing how she'll do it. I mean, I'm a fan of violence, so her performing violence will is something I'm interested in. Uh, yeah. So that's you know, that's the card. I hope you'll stop by and follow along with my live play-by-play play on that one. Uh, this was very quickly, I should mention. Uh, there was a Bellator event last night as well. Phil Davis defeated Yoel Romero via split decision in their three-round main event. I um, First of all, the judges scored that for Romero should probably be fired. I th- I gave Romero the second as I was kind of half-watching live, but one and two are clearly Davis. Like, this, sh- this shouldn't have been hard. One of the things Romero mentioned after the fact was, you know, he thought they were in a five-round fight instead of a three-rounder. To be clear, Bellator... Why are you still doing three-round main events? Uh, that that seems a little bit odd. I don't know why you're doing that. Um, I don't. I don't just a weird fight. I mean, Phil Davis, to his eternal credit, he want, This was not the same kind of split decision that he had with you know Leoto Machida that he really should have lost. He pretty clearly won at least two rounds. You could argue he won all three, and I wouldn't argue too hard against that. He got stronger as the fight went on. His ta- his ground control is still very good. It's, you know, I was thinking about this. Of all the divisions, I think light I think light heavyweight between like the UFC and Bellator has the most parity. By which I mean the following: if you take the four best light heavyweights in Bellator, in no particular order, let's. I tend to think that's what Vadim Nemkov, Ryan Bader, Phil Davis, and Anthony Johnson, maybe. So hypothetically, if you took those four guys as the best light heavyweights in Bellator, and there's a little bit of argument over the fourth spot, fine. I'm not here to completely litigate the Bellator roster. Would you be shocked if any one of those four guys... I don't know what what would lead to this, but hypothetically, if Glover Teixeira falls out of his fight with Blahovich and any one of those four guys from Bellator got the next title shot, would you be surprised if any of them beat Jan Blahovich? And that's not me trying to dump on Jan. Okay, I want to be very clear about that. It is not me saying that Jan Blahovich sucks. He doesn't suck. He is the UFC champion. He's the UFC champion for a reason. It's just me saying, would you be surprised if Ryan Bader fought Jan Blahovich and beat him? I wouldn't. 
I would not be surprised if any of those four guys be any of those four guys could fight any combination of the top four guys in the UFC and probably win and could win. Like that's not really a. I mean, dumping that's not me dumping on the UFC's light heavyweight division either. I mean, it, if anything, it's me pointing out that the division as a whole is kind of weak, like across any number of promotions. But that's probably the division with the most parity. I mean, I would not say at all that about any other division in Bellator. You take take the four best bantamweights in Bellator, whoever you think that happens to be. So hypothetically, Sergio Pettis is the champion, Juan Archuleta, um, Magomed Magomedov, I'm just throwing that one out there, and, oh, who's the other guy? I can't remember his name. I think I would just beat Magomedov. There's another guy whose name I'm forgetting, and I apologize. I'm not, I'm not trying to be dismissive. If you put any of those four in the cage with Aljamain Sterling or Piotr Jan, you have too, I mean, you have too much doubt about that? You put Piotr Jan in there with Sergio Pettis. I know who I'm picking. And that's not me saying Sergio Pettis is terrible. He is not a terrible fighter at all. But there is not the same level of parity. You, even heavyweight, which is, you know, kind of a weak division on the whole. But, you know, Ryan Bader's the heavyweight champion of Bellator. So you take the best Bellator heavyweights. So who would the four best be? What? So Bader, Czech Congo, Vitaly Minikov, maybe? I think Minikov just lost. And then I don't even know who the other one would be. Timothy Johnson? You put any of those guys in there with Francis Ngannou, what do you think happens? Any of them. Or even if you want to exclude the champion, put him in there with Cyril Gaon or Stipe. What happens? It's not that those guys are completely incapable of winning those fights, but really, what do we think happens here? That's not the case with 205. That's kind of all I'm saying about that. I, I don't have a whole lot to say about the fight or what else happened on that. I don't think a whole lot else happened on that card. Uh, the only other Bellator news, very briefly, Anthony Johnson had to pull out of his fight uh, for the in the Grand Prix. He had one coming up. He was going to fight Nemkov, actually. So that would have been for the Bellator light heavyweight title. And yeah, I think he had some kind of injury. Uh, so hopefully it's not serious. Uh, all right, let's move on to some other news. Let's, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the UFC announced the next flyweight title fight. They're going to do the trilogy fight between Brandon Moreno and Davis and Figueredo. I'm not going to lie. I don't care for this. Uh, I don't care for this pretty much at all. Now, that might seem odd to say because their first fight was so good. Really, it's a great fight. That's one of the best flyweight title fights in UFC history. It's a great fight. If not the best. I mean, if we limit our discussion to the UFC flyweight division. I mean, I think a couple of DJ's fights get unnecessarily crapped on. His fight, his first fight with Benavidez. was a really good fight. His fight with Dodson's a good fight. You know, if we're talking about, you know, great fights that you want to rewatch for, you know, all the things that make great fights. Um... Even DJ and Cejudo's second fight is a good... I disagree with the scoring. That's a good fight. 
Pass it. But yeah, that's probably the best. Uh, so then you have Cejudo vacating. You have Figueredo and Benavidez twice, and then you have Figueredo and uh, oh, who who did he smash? Brandon Royville, I think. And then you had Moreno and Figueredo. One, and then their, uh, and then their, their, I mean, their first fight was great. Yeah, that, I'm going to call that. Yeah, that's the best fly, that might be the best flyweight fight period in UFC history. It's a great fight. They do the immediate rematch because it ends in a draw. And Moreno, with a darn near perfect performance, wins the belt. Here's my gripe. You've, uh, sorry, no, it wasn't Royval that he took. It was, um, it was, uh, Perez. It was Alex Perez that Figueredo guillotined in his first title defense. Point being, you've got two guys right now who should be fighting for the belt in the form of... Honestly, I'm not, I'm not even going to split the difference. Like, there are some people out there going, well, you know, with his last... I think it was Pantoja, the people, like, with his last performance were... Kind of going for... Um, yeah, when he beat Royval, it, he was a dominant fight, but let's be real, people. The next challenger should be one person and one person only, and that's Askar Askarov. Askarov has never lost. He is 14-0-1. You know that one? That the draw? His UFC debut, he went to a split draw with Brandon Moreno. Since then, Askarov has beaten Tim Elliott, Alessandre Pantoja, and Joseph Benavidez. Askarov should be fighting for the title. Now, I know, I can guess why he's not. And let's not mince words about this. The UFC will give slightly preferential matchmaking and policies towards fighters that they want to remain in a highlighted position to, uh, for market reasons. Look, that's why Zhang Weili is getting an immediate rematch with Rosnama Yunus. Okay, there's no meritocratic reason for it. Zhang had a whopping one title defense. Don't get me wrong. That fight with Joanna, amazing. An amazing, gutsy, bat. like, that's a great fight. That might be the best women's fight ever, period, and was one of the, and is one of the best fights ever, regardless of gender. Great fight. But it's one title defense, and then you get knocked out clean via head kick in your next one. She's getting this shot because the UFC still kind of wants someone to be the face of the UFC and MMA in general to help open up the Chinese market. Brandon Moreno is the first Mexican UFC champion. Don't give me the Cain Velasquez stuff. Cain was born in Arizona. And Moreno is Mexican born and raised. You know, there's a reason that the people of Mexico was... I mean, there were big murals painted about... Which is kind of a thing that people do after he won. Like, Moreno is potentially their key to opening up... To getting some more popularity in the Mexican market. And I say Mexican specifically because, well, other countries are not Mexico. 
And Mexico has a long Mexico has a long history of boxing in particular, producing some great, great fighters. And finally, kind of finding someone to maybe be the face of MMA and the UFC in a large country with a history in combat sports. They're going to try to get as much out of him as they can. And that and when you get when you factor that in with rematching a. You know, their first fight was still great. Like that that's kind of the thought process going on here. I mean you can do Moreno and Figueredo in a rematch of a fight that everyone loves for good reason. A rem- uh you know a their second fight went went Moreno's way pretty handily and provided the first Mexican champion in the history of the UFC. So we can run this back again with the high probability of getting at a bare minimum, a good fight, and potentially your budding face of the sport in a largely un, not completely untapped, but you know, an, uh, an area of the world that you're trying to open up. Or you can do Brandon Moreno against a guy who already fought to a, fought him to a draw, who's a legally deaf. Russian in a fight that's a tough matchup for Brandon Moreno stylistically. Like, I, I've i said this before about Askarov. I think he's coming for that belt. I think he's going to wear it. I don't know if it'll be his first title shot that he, uh, you know, that he climbs the mountain or not. He might need two. But I think very, very highly of his abilities. And I do think that if they were to make you know, Askarov and Moreno, I might lean Askarov. Just candidly. But the UFC is doing what it's doing. I mean, Pantoja already lost to Askarov and Figueredo. Uh, the argument here, I think the point that we're trying to get at is he's beaten Moreno twice. He submitted him on their season of The Ultimate Fighter, which doesn't actually count, and then he beat him in 2018. Like, they're, they're trying to run that angle. But Askarov should be having next. Uh, so, I mean, I'm not going to complain. I'm going to object on the meritocratic standpoint and even a little bit on the logic behind it being a bit... It's really weird to say they're protecting Brandon Moreno by putting him back in there with Davis and Figueredo, right? Like, that's bad protection if you want to... <laughs> if the argument is they're protecting him. But I think they're trying to avoid him being in a... Not just a stylistically bad fight, but a fight that they're not sure they could really sell a whole lot. Uh, and I, I, I don't like it. But I'm not going to complain too much about getting to watch Figueredo and Moreno square up again. Because they have some really good fight chemistry. Uh, okay, alright. Uh, next up, there were some retirements over the last week. Um... Two in particular. Let me let me start with Carlos Condit, because the Natural Born Killer announced his retirement from MMA, and if you didn't see Carlos Condit when he was, if you didn't watch him when he was the WEC welterweight champion, you missed out on a violent, violent man, and he was violent in the UFC too. 
I mean, that he has put on some of the best fights you'll ever see. I absolutely mean that. Uh, his, I mean, there's, I don't want to name the big one right off the bat, so hang on. I mean, he came into the UFC, lost a split decision to Martin Campman. He should have won that fight. Won a split decision over Jake Ellenberger. He probably should have lost. But his first, his fight with Roy McDonald, man, that's a pretty serious comeback to get a TKO in the third. Brutally knocks out Dan Hardy. Brutally knocks out Dong Hyun Kim. Uh, beats Nick Diaz via five-round decision. I know some people uh, got a little bit salty about that, but they beat him pretty clean. That became the interim champion off of that. Lost to GSP uh, in a five-round fight. Did drop him with a head kick, though, in a, uh, a highlight that gets played a lot. Uh, lost to Johnny Hendricks. Beat Martin Campman in a rematch. He stopped him in the fourth round. Had the leg injury when he fought Tyron Woodley. Came back. He badly beat... T I mean, he broke Tiago Alves' nose so badly. If you ever... If you ever happen to uh, find one of those old martial arts masters who tell... Or who do the, you know, if you hit someone's nose just right, you can send bone fragments into their brain. No, you can't. That's not a thing. It would have happened by now. Show them Tiago Alves' broken nose. Because if that broken nose didn't do what all those you know, self-defense experts claim it would do, it can't happen. Like, that's, that's just not a thing. I mean, your nose isn't actually... Also, your nose isn't actually bone. It's cartilage. Some of it is hard cartilage. That's why it can break, but it's not... You know, I mean, for for your lower ribs, they're like half cartilage. They still break. Like, hard cartilage is... Uh, it's still not pleasant to have broken, but it doesn't... You know, you can't do that. Then... Oh, the poor man. If you've never seen his fight with Robbie Lawler, UFC 195... Loses for the title. Loses a split decision. I thought he won. Straight up. I thought I scored that for him. I thought he should have won it. But that fight is the best title fight in UFC welterweight history. Uh, that is maybe the best welterweight fight ever, period. That is maybe the best fight ever. And I know when you get to, like, the top ten or so fights ever encompassing the history of MMA across all promotions, that gets real dicey. Anybody that says Robbie Lawler, Carlos Condit is the best fight ever, I'm not... I mean, how are you going to argue that? Like, what's your... Like, you can say, okay, here's something else that's, you know, by pretty much any metric as great, and I have my preferences. Like, that, that's what you're down to. That is a great... That, that is one of the greatest fights ever. Uh, something else about Carlos Condit. He made a choice. When he was coming up in the welterweight division, that was a division full of wrestlers. And it was noted for a long time that his wrestling defense in particular was a bit of an Achilles heel. And it's not that he never worked on it. But he deliberately did not become a wrestler. He chose to fight. 
He chose to seek violence and action instead of an era of lay and pray guys. Instead of being another one of lay and pray guys. In an era of a lot of lay and pray guys. That man made a conscious decision at some point. He, you know, the old joke. He chose violence. He turned in some great fights, some great moments. He was, even on his decline, he was kind of must-see TV for, in a lot of respects. Uh, it's t- it's probably past time for him to have retired. I mean, his fight against Max Griffin was not completely lifeless, but that was also, you know, Condit anywhere near his prime against Max Griffin, even the best version of Max Griffin. Condit wins that fight. I, I wish him nothing but the best. He provided... A lo- he gave so much of himself in the in pursuit of MMA success, glory, fame, whatever. Uh, so, Condit's retired. I feel a little bit older because some of these guys that I came up watching are now retiring, but uh, I wish him nothing but the best. Also wishing nothing but the best to another retired fighter, former four-time flyweight title challenger Joseph Benavidez. Uh, Benavidez announced his retirement this last week as well. Joseph Benavidez might be... Okay, if you take out the interim title, if you take out the interim part of it, I think Joseph Benavidez is pretty clearly the best... I can't say pretty clearly. He is my argument and my choice for the best fighter to never win a UFC title. You can argue some other people. There's other names on that list. There's Jacare. There's Dan Henderson. Uh, there, jeez, uh, who else? Is, there's. It's not a list I keep off the top of my head, but there's a list. It's Rory McDonald, actually. Might argue Rory. Now that I think about it. Uh, you could argue Condit. I mean, again, some people count the interim title. I, if you count. If you want to count people who won interim but never won the real belt, and then who's the best to never hold it, maybe at that point it's Dustin Poirier. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of ways you can go with this. If we exclude interim champions just for the sake of making the discussion easier, I think the answer is Joseph Benavidez. He fought the majority of his early career at bantamweight. And was undersized and still, I mean, for a long, for the first what? For the first 29 fights of this man's career, he had four losses and they were to two people. He lost to Dominic Cruz and he lost to Demetrius Johnson and that was it. I mean, if you look up just his WEC run, right? Beats Danny Martinez, who was a pretty big deal at the time. Beats Jeff Curran. If you... You may not remember Jeff Curran, the big frog. Especially if you, you know, depending on when you came along. Jeff Curran was a really good fighter. Benavides beat him. He fights Dominic Cruz at WEC 42. Loses a unanimous decision. Really good fight, actually. He follows that up by TKOing Ronnie Yaya in the first round, and then people won't respect how 
contemporary fight fans may not remember this, but when he choked out Miguel Torres after opening up a gash in his forehead so deep you could see his skull, which is not a joke. If you can, if you're of a, if you don't, if you got a strong constitution, look up Miguel Torres' cut and you will see what he did to him with that elbow, and then choked him out with a guillotine. Miguel Torres was one fight removed from his long, long run of dominance as champion. And he smashed that guy. Then he fights for the title and loses a split decision that shouldn't have been split, but, again, to Dominic Cruz. Chokes out Wagner Fabiano, moves to the UFC, beats Ian Loveland, beats Eddie Wineland, all still at bantamweight, moves to flyweight where he is more naturally suited frame-wise, TKO's Yashihiro Urushitani. Urushitani was a was like the king of the flyweights in Japan, where there's a lot more guys that size. He TKO's him in the second round. Has a heck of a fight with Demetrius Johnson at UFC 152. Loses split decision. Goes on to beat Ian McCall via clear decision. TKO's Darren Uenoyama with a body shot. Uh, TKO's Juicy Formiga. Fights Demetrius Johnson again, gets brutally knocked out, is not deterred. Knocked out in the first round. I love that knockout from Demetrius, by the way. That's a great knockout. Is not deterred. Gets back on the horse. Beats Tim Elliott via guillotine choke in the first round. Beats Dustin Ortiz, John Moraga, Ali Bagutinov, Zach Makovsky. Beats Henry Cejudo. I thought Henry should have won that fight, but the scoring notwithstanding. Like that. That's a great run. He loses a split decision to Sergio Pettis. Shouldn't have been split. That was Pettis, clearly. But after, you know, a significant layoff, he is again not deterred. Proceeds to TKO Alex Perez. Decision Dustin Ortiz, clearly, and stops Juicy Formiga again. At which point he fights Davison Figueredo for the vacant belt and is brutally stopped. Fights him again and is brutally stopped. And then loses to Askar Askarov. But look at that list. That that man never won a title. He only got close to winning the belt once. That was that being the first fight with Demetrius Johnson. His other title opportunities were not especially close. Again, brutally knocked out by DJ in their rematch. Finally gets a shot for the vacant belt against Figueredo. Is brutally stopped in the second. Gets a rematch and is brutally stopped in the first. This time via choke after being bludgeoned. But that man is an all-time great flyweight. Pretty easily. He's... His career is... A, is genuinely great. I think he's the best guy to never wear UFC gold. And again, if you want to include... the inter- If you want to exclude interim... If you, if you want to say the interim title doesn't count... That tends to be my thought process, but if you wanted to, if you do, then maybe it's Dustin Poirier instead of Benavidez. But at that point, I think it's those two. Like, that's it. Uh, and again, I say that with all due respect to Dan Henderson. He had multiple t- shots at the title. The only time he got close was when he fought, you know, Michael Bisbing, when Bisbing shouldn't have been fighting him after Bisbing's uh, upset win over Luke Rockhold. Uh, I mean, he had plenty of other shots, and I mean, Henderson had his fight with Rampage, actually, for the 205 title with Quentin Jackson. 
a slightly forgotten, you know, good fight. Really good fight. But not terribly close. His fight with Anderson Silva, he had a good first round, and then Silva finished him in the second, I seem to recall. Uh, he almost had a title shot at light heavyweight again, but, you know, his knee got injured, and he lied about it, and then couldn't get it. And then he got the other shot at middleweight, where, you know, to whatever credit you want to give, came fairly close to beating Michael Bisping. Uh, but it, I think it's Benavidez. I think he's the... I think if you look technically and where he was in his division, I mean, that guy was held down by Demetrius Johnson. Especially after that second fight. Like, he, there's any any time after that second fight when he beat Elliot Ortiz Moraga, Bogatinov, and Makovsky. Like, after any of those. Okay. After the, Ortiz, after the Moraga fight on, he could have been given a title shot. And wasn't just because he's already lost to DJ twice, and the second time he lost, he was brutally stopped in the first round. I mean... When they when the UFC announced that flyweight tournament, we all assumed it was Benavidez, that he was going to be the guy to win. And you know, credit to Demetrius Johnson, who was one of the all-time greats. But yeah, it's and he announced his retirement, and I have nothing. I wish nothing but the best for that guy. He was always an interesting fight. He succeeded across two weight classes. <laughs> Uh, one of, by all accounts, the nicest guys. You know, I've uh, plenty of people have interviewed him and had nice things to say about him. He's been a class act all the way through, you know, which is more than can be said of other members of his camp, but that's a different story. Uh, he was always like the one guy from Team Alpha Male who didn't seem to fit, right? Like, you look at everybody else and, uh, and their personality is a little bit mesh, and yeah, you, you know, you kind of know what you're in for there. He's the one who never quite seemed to fit. Like, I get, I mean, he did. You know, he fought out of there for the vast majority of his career. But personality-wise, he didn't quite seem to fit with those other guys. So, uh, you know, I wish him nothing but the best, man. He's provided a lot of great fights, a lot of great moments as well. And you know, Godspeed in whatever you do next, sir. Uh, we had a... Couple of the, a couple of guys whose names should be remembered in the history books, uh, and sadly might not be. Uh, hang him up this last week. So, yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Is there anything else? Let me check Twitter one more time, and if not, we will go ahead and get out of here. All right. It does not look like anything is broken since I've been recording this. So let's do plugs and get out of here. All right. Last week. I reviewed, I believe it was Malignant. Yeah, last week was a Damn You Hollywood for Malignant, the James Wan film that Mark and I did on Damn You Hollywood. So please check that out. As usual, also, my pro wrestling coverage. Uh, let's see, this week, so speaking of this week, AEW's Dark Elevation Monday, potentially something Wednesday if MLW gets around to releasing anything, and WWE SmackDown on Fridays. Uh, I'm going to take part in a triple feature review segment uh, this Tuesday in place of Damn You Hollywood. Myself and Mark Radlich are going to get to together and discuss a trio of neo-Western movies. Uh, 
Concrete Cowboys, the Netflix movie starring Idris Elba, the recently released Cry Macho starring Clint Eastwood. And from a little bit in the Wayback Machine, Mark gave me a few options of movies that... To round out the triple part of the triple feature, you know, what's one from the past? And we'd settled on Hell or High Water, the movie starring Chris Pine and Jeff Bridges from a few years ago. That is a genuinely great piece of filmmaking. So we'll be talking about those three on triple feature this Tuesday. And I think that's my only thing at the moment. So, yeah, that's what I've got. And then again, my usual slate of coverage up to and including UFC 266 on Saturday. We will be back here next week for UFC to review UFC 266 and to preview preview. Let me double check that real fast. Yes, we will preview UFC on ESPN plus 51 headlined by Tiago Santos and Johnny Walker. Huh. Let me look at this card real fast. Huh, Misha Serkinov trying his hand at middleweight. It's moderately interesting. Um, yeah, there's not a whole lot here. But we'll have a full preview next week, so I will see you all then. Until then, thank you all very much again for tuning in. I deeply appreciate you. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.